Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here is what's on the podcast today. Charles McVitie and Canada Christian College making the Ontario government and caucus members squirm. NDP leader Andrea Horvath joins me to talk about it. Plus, what's the latest from the United States as we approach the election? Our very own Far Nasser is in Washington to give us the details. All of that's coming up. Let's get to it. Welcome to a crisis in confidence in the Ford cabinet. That's what's underway right now. If you read between the lines, if you are a seasoned watcher of Queen's Park, you know what's going on right now. There are very strong questions within the cabinet about what is going on. Now, I don't mean to suggest here that Mr. Ford's leadership is under threat. There's no coup from inside to overthrow him. Nothing like that. He's obviously still very, very popular. Still the point person, the premier, the person that has the best skill set in terms of communicating with people. And that's why people watch him each and every day. Not only that, you don't ever know what he's going to say. So that's always entertaining as well. But the confidence of the cabinet in the advice that Ford is getting and what it is that Ford is doing That is rattled right now on a number of issues, from questions over the modeling and restrictions in hotspots to Charles McVitie. There are questions within the Ford government to the Premier, and so far the answers have not been satisfactory, especially on the McVitie front, and we're going to dig into that later on in the program. Andrea Horvath, the leader of the NDP, will join me to talk about the Charles McVitie story. But I want to get to the numbers real quick. 896, just under 900, with 41,000 tests and 41,000 pending. So weird how that test number, doesn't matter how it goes up or goes down, it's almost like the pending number mirrors it exactly. And as that pending number comes up, that just means if you go for a test, of course, you have to wait a little bit longer in a lot of cases to be able to get your results back. But let's talk about the pie chart that the government released yesterday. Normally, I'm all for pie charts. Any time of day is a good time for a pie chart. But the detailed sector-by-sector breakdown presented to the public on Thursday actually points to schools and daycares and long-term care and retirement homes. Those are all the places, the biggest slices of the pie, where infection has happened, where spread of COVID-19 is happening. And if you look at the old pie chart between August August 1st, pardon me, and October 24th, Bars and restaurants accounted for just 14% of overall outbreaks. Gyms, gyms represented just 3%. 3% of outbreaks from gyms, and nevertheless, gyms are shut down in hotspots. And so the questions from the MPPs that represent those areas, from cabinet members, who might represent those areas that have been placed into these restricted into these new restrictions, the question is, well, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? And there will be questions, of course, for Doug Ford about it. And think about this. How did we get here? We got here because we've established now that a pushback gets you somewhere. Halton pushback, remember that? Mayors, MPPs, PC MPPs writing a letter saying, I don't think you should put us in a modified stage two. And so the government didn't do that. Remember dance studios? Remember that? 
when the government said, yeah, no, dance studios are closed with all of our fitness. And then, I don't know if you know any dance moms, but, man, you that is not a constituency you want against you. Man, they are, wow. I mean, I'm sure there are dance dads out there, too. I mean, don't at me about the whole gender thing, but it's the dance moms are scary. And the dance moms, you know, they managed to, you know, buttonhole Lisa McLeod, who's responsible for it, and she went in there, and I'm sure, you know, she's got a louder voice than a lot of them, and she, all of a sudden, dance studios open again. But I'm asking now, those, that's the pushback there, and I want to get into the numbers a little bit later on. But I, my question is, where is the pushback in the cabinet on Charles McVitie? Here's the background on it, if you don't know this story. The Better for People, Smarter for Business Act, which is an omnibus bill, a pandemic response bill, that the uh, progressive conservatives recently introduced in it, there is a schedule, a portion of it, that will allow Canada Christian College, which is essentially an extension of Charles McVitie, to grant degrees, also allowed to change its name. Mr. McVitie has been described by numerous people and organizations as intolerant, Islamophobic, homophobic, and so on. And now it has been revealed at Queen's Park that the application And the way this thing works is that if you want to be able to give out a degree, you have to apply to something called the Post-Secondary Education Quality Assessment Board, the PCAB. Well, that's exciting. I got a little bit of a PCAB on my shirt here. Uh, But the, the application to PCAB from Canada Christian College, all of a sudden, it vanishes when this thing hits the fan. It's gone. And then it gets replaced again, redacted 90 pages all containing financial information about Charles McVitie and his family. And I'm going to tell you about what that financial information revealed coming up. But I want to take you, I want to take you to the government's response on this because this illustrates my point about this crisis of confidence within the cabinet. That's a lot of alliteration for anxious anchors. Here is Guy Lamarto who is a PC MPP, who was tasked yesterday to get up in the House and answer the question, why is it that within an omnibus bill that is supposed to be a pandemic response, which means, you know, there's stuff in there that we need, why in there would we put in a clause that says, yes, Canada Christian College gets to do this thing, gets to hand out degrees, uh, and yet the process about actually approving it from this independent PCAB, I got it on me again, PCAB, uh, this PCAB, that's not even completed yet. What, what Guillemarteau, go. I believe that we should all wait for the independent process to take place, and then we can have whatever discussions we want to have on what they rule in terms of uh, the application. Gilmarto in the house. In other words, the process isn't done. I'm not super comfortable talking about Charles McVitie. You know, the whole bunch over here, not super comfortable about it. But let's just wait till the thing is done. Well, wait a second. <laughs> Here's Kathleen Wynne, who has been leading much of the charge on this. Of course, Kathleen Wynne, the former premier, and regardless how you feel about her politics, I think she speaks with some, some authority here about Charles McVitie. Here is Kathleen Wynne 
uh, later on, basically saying back to the government, you know what, that's not the question. I am not asking about the PCAP process. I am asking, Mr. Speaker, about the legislation that was brought in a preemptory way to this House, Mr. Speaker. That's the question that I'm asking. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the question that the government cannot answer. Why is it, if this is an independent process, and that's what the government hides behind, oh, independent process, arm's length, nothing to do with us, we're just this people over here, they're going to decide. Well, 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 but it's in this bill. It's right in the bill. Okay, sure, but we're not going to proclaim the bill into law until the process is complete. But why would you put it in there before it was complete if you didn't already believe it would be complete? Uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And here's the Premier, Doug Ford, asked point blank this exact question from a reporter from the CBC. If the board rejects the application, uh, will your government still go forward with uh, the legislation? And uh, why did you feel the need to legislate before at the end of that process? Uh, again, uh, we aren't going to proclaim the legislation until everything goes through the proper processes. We're going to follow the, the procedures like we do to anyone else. And that's the only fair thing to do. So let's get through the uh, PCAB process. Let's see what happens. And uh, we'll make a decision from there. Okay, did you get that? That is not an answer to the question. It's not about the process. You can hide behind the process all you like. What's it doing in that bill? And what happens to the rest of the bill that we so desperately need? We're not going to proclaim it into legislation until the process is complete. Well, so what, we're just going to wait? We're going to wait on this? Or is it perhaps that the government looks like it has already predetermined the outcome? And just to remind you, Charles McVitie and his support helped win Doug Ford the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party. Some allege he helped, win, helped him win the election. I won't go that far. I mean, you know, please. A snowman in July could have beaten Kathleen Wynne in the last election. We all know that. It was the winning of the leadership that's key, and it was the support of Charles McVitie and Christian conservatives on the second ballot after Tanya Gronick Alec had to drop off. Those supporters went to Doug Ford. He eked out a win and beat Christine Elliott. And now, at the cabinet table, Cabinet is squirming. No one more so than Christine Elliott herself. Here she is in an uncomfortable news conference on Thursday. That's why I think it's really important that we need to say that our government does not stand for any uh, racist, homophobic behavior whatsoever. Christine Elliott says it makes her uncomfortable that her government, the government that she is deputy premier of, the minister of health, the one that was just so narrowly beaten for the leadership and then going on to be premier, premier Doug Ford, not premier Elliott. Listen to Christine Elliott here dance on the head of a pin. I feel very uncomfortable with any suggestion that our government condones um, any kind of uh, racist or um, 
behavior, uh, uh, LCBDQ plus um, uh, issues, uh, that we want to make sure that everyone is welcome in Ontario. And so I feel uncomfortable with that personally, because I don't stand for that, nor does any other member of our cabinet or our caucus. As Christine Elliott. And yet the question remains unanswered. What is it doing in this bill that has already been introduced before the House? As we continue our discussion about Charles McVitie and Canada Christian College and what is going on with the Ford government, why is it that the Ford government has chosen to use a pandemic response bill, an omnibus bill, to essentially say that Canada Christian College in Oshawa will be able to grant degrees. Now, the government's response to this has been, no, we're waiting on an independent process to be completed, that independent process being uh, conducted by the Post-Secondary Education Quality Assessment Board, the PCAB. You know, I've been covering... (laughs) I've been covering Ontario politics for a long time, and I'm always surprised when I, you know... I guess I'm not surprised when I discover another acronym for another obscure body that I hadn't heard of before, and this is the PCAB. So PCAB is this independent body, and it decides whether or not institutions can do things like hand out degrees. And the government says, well, we're not going to proclaim this omnibus, this pandemic response bill into law till we get this process done. Don't talk to us. It's independent. It's got nothing to do with Charles McVitie's friendship with the premier or his support of the Premier politically, nothing to see here. Well, now it turns out that the application to PCAB from Canada Christian College, which was on the website for everyone to see, that was taken down, and then it was put back up again, and it's missing a lot of information in the new version that you can see online. What's missing? To talk about that, I'm pleased to welcome to the program the leader of the Ontario NDP, Andrea Horvath. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm well, thanks. What, what, 90 pages that were redacted? Yeah, 90 or 91. Yeah, yeah. What's the takeaway, the big takeaway from those documents from your perspective? Well, I mean, I I think what they've they've clearly done is taken away any information that, you know, that... uh, refers to their bad behavior. I mean, look, they're, they're loaning money to Mr. McVitie and his, his uh, family members. That's now not there. Uh, their, uh, the, the, the false qualifications that they were assigning to, uh, to uh, uh, Mr. McVitie's uh, wife uh, are, are not there anymore. I mean, it, it, it just a lot of the details around the financials and the you know the uh, the qualifications of folks, and I mean, they've basically scrubbed it, uh, scrubbed it, and uh, and tried to get away with putting it back up with uh, with very little information. And that's certainly it's obvious uh, that they have something to hide because they're hiding it now. Uh, Global News has attempted repeatedly to contact Charles McVitie or Canada Christian College for comment. We have also reached out to a lawyer who is apparently uh, acting on behalf of Mr. McVitie. Uh, We have not received any response, but I can tell you that the Toronto Star quotes this lawyer as saying that this was information that was incorrectly posted in the first place. Uh, Your response to that? 
Well, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, getting caught with your fingers in the cookie jar. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, they uh, they had that information up there for over a month. I think this is the, I think the government, I think Mr. Ford uh, particularly is scrambling along with the, the college to figure out, you know, how they can put this genie back in the bottle. But it's not going to happen. I mean, it, everybody knows who Charles McVeady is. He's a homophobic He's a Islamophobic. He's a, a, a peddler of hate. Uh, and, you know, in, in 2020 and 2020 in the province of Ontario, uh, it's shocking that uh, Mr. Ford thinks it's appropriate to give this favor to his friend. It is just shocking. The, the question that continually is asked was asked by your party yesterday, was asked by uh, Kathleen Wynne, it was asked by reporters in the press conference, is why is this in this bill? If it's an independent process, why is it already past second reading in a bill in front of the House? Well, I mean, exactly. And that's, and in fact, the 91 pages of redacted uh, information are uh, included the reference that the legislation was coming. So, I mean, it, it was very clear that uh, Mr. Ford cooked up this deal with Mr. McVitie uh, and thought that it was okay to use the cover of COVID-19 uh, to uh, to give uh, this favor. And it, that is, I mean, it's disgusting. It's nothing short of disgusting that in a, in a COVID-related bill uh, that they're trying to, you know, hide this or, or, or stick this in as an add-on uh, to, um, you know, to, to, you know, provide favors uh, to uh, Ford's friends. I mean, let's not forget, Mr. McVitie was a big supporter of Mr. Ford. In fact, the sex, ed, edu- the sex education kind of debacle that happened at the very beginning of this government's term was because he was Ford was doing the bidding of Mr. McVitie and other types like him. And, and uh, of course, we saw how all that turned out. So maybe this is the final payoff for Mr. McVitie, that he didn't get what he wanted with sex education. And now, you know, this is a... Uh, this is the payoff uh, for uh, for them finally abandoning that uh, you know that effort. But I, I just you have to ask Mr. Ford why he thinks it's okay to continue to do this. I mean, Ron Tavener wasn't enough. He didn't learn his lesson with Ron Tavener, and now we're do now we're doing this all over again. I mean, we deserve better that from our premier than this kind of uh, nonsense. Nonsense isn't even the right word. I mean, it's just it's horrifying. I want to, uh, Andrea, to talk about the uh, modeling that was released yesterday, because I think there will yeah. be questions from the Premier today, obviously, on the McVitie situation. But the other big story will be questions about what evidence was presented to the government before it decided to move uh, these areas into modified stage two, including the closure of in-restaurant dining and gyms, especially. I'm, I'm wondering what your takeaway from that is. Should in-restaurant and gyms have been closed in hotspots? Well, I mean, I think, well, I mean, again, I, I think it's important that the government acts on evidence and acts on facts and acts on public health advice. I mean, I think that's the, the most important piece. But when you look at those charts, charts, I mean, what it says to me is they haven't been investing in protecting long-term care, protecting education. I mean, you look at those pie graphs, they, they show clearly. Uh, that that's where the um, the spread is happening and in schools and in uh, in long-term care homes. So why the government has sat on its hands and uh, and and been you know stingy with the money, um, you know saving a buck on the backs of seniors who are li- losing their lives and our kids who are at risk at schools is uh, I mean it's it's dumbfounding. I mean I just I, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, when it, and it, and also when it comes to these other kinds of uh, 
uh, you know, lockdowns or, you know, moving back to modified phase two, uh, whether it's gyms, whether it's bars, whether it's restaurants, um, the entertainment industry, Ford hasn't lifted a finger to try to help those um, those business folks help those small businesses to survive. I mean, he, he could have been helping with direct subsidies for rent, for example, which is what we've been calling for. Uh, but but he's again, he's been trying to uh, deal with COVID-19 on the cheap all the way along. Um, and it's 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 hurting Ontarians. And it's it's a uh, it's. You know, it's the wrong direction. And but let me put you, let me put you on the spot a little that. bit here, Andrea. You know, as you read those numbers, should gyms in in restaurant dining be allowed to resume in hotspots? Well, I mean, I, I I don't have the answer to be frank. I, I mean, I really don't have all of the information that Mr. Ford is using uh, to come up with uh, with his uh, decisions, and and that's another problem. I mean, if this is not has not been a transparent uh, process, and I think that's what's getting a lot of these business owners upset as well. Where is the transparency? You know, where is you know the government's justification for the decisions they're making? You know, on this front and on all fronts, it, it's just not been transparent. Uh, it's not been well communicated, and uh, it's ca- causing great frustration and anxiety. What are you doing for Halloween? Um, I'm I'm not going to be doing anything. I'm going to look at the lovely leaves in my backyard that are falling from the trees um, and stay warm because it's going to be cold. <laughs> I, well, yeah, but you're not in a hot spot. You can be handing out. You can hand out trick or treaters. You can you can have kids come to the door. Yeah, you know what? I, and and I often do, but I'm in this kind of little uh, townhouse complex, and for some reason, we always get passed by. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's going to be strange because, you know, the experience, you know, in Hamilton is going to be different from the experience in Toronto for kids and, and for for residents. Yeah, I mean, and that's another kind of, um, you know, decision that people, I don't think, understood. Uh, when you see that, you know, we juxtapose the decision on Halloween against 30 kids in a classroom and 70 kids on a school bus, you know, you, you begin to wonder, you know, exactly how is the premier making these decisions? Andrew Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP, thank you so much for joining me. Stay safe and have a happy Halloween. My pleasure, and uh, you have a happy Halloween as well, Emily. Well, as we get ready for Halloween, you might be thinking to yourself, what am I going to dress up as? Maybe uh, maybe one of the candidates in the U.S. presidential election. Perhaps that. You know, you can get yourself a, a Trump mask or a Biden mask, and then nobody comes to the door, and you just scare your, you just scare your own family with that. Is what you would do. Boom! And there you go. Uh, it's almost over. It's almost here, folks. We're just, we're almost here. As the Americans are finally going to the election, and I, I wish I could tell you that, of course, come election day, it'll all be done, and we can just sort of, you know, say, "Well, that was wow," uh, and we can move on to the next thing. But we're not there yet. We're not there because we got to get through the election, then we got to get through all the mail-in ballots, and then you know what's going to happen. I mean, it. I, I mean, if it's a resounding win for Donald Trump, I think. First of all, the polls suggest that that is not even a possibility. But let's just you know say that you know 2016 repeats itself. Then I think we know what happens. It's just you know Donald Trump crowing about the greatest electoral victory of all time. If it's anything other than that, the reality is going to be that Donald Trump is not going to concede. I think we all know 
Donald Trump enough to know that that is likely what is going to happen. So there are many questions about not only what's going to happen, you know, in the run-up to voting, as we have uh, intense campaigning going on by both Trump and by Biden in these past couple, in these last few days, Trump actually holding in-person rallies, a whole bunch of them. And covering it all for us is my co-anchor, Farah Nasser, who joins me on the line from Washington, D.C. Hi, Farah. Hello, how are you? Well, I'm doing all right. What's going on where you are? Well, uh, in a word, uh, there's a lot of anxiety here in America, a lot of anxious voters. We're seeing in Washington, D.C. in the past hour, I've noticed the Wells Fargo Bank near where I am boarding up, uh, boarding up the windows. And, you know, voters I'm speaking with, they're they're concerned on on various levels. Uh, I mean, obviously, COVID-19. And then we have uh, this election on Tuesday and uh, it's going to be a contentious one. Uh, and on your your trip south, you you stopped in in a couple of spots and, and talked to voters, you know, both Trump supporters and Biden supporters. Let's let's begin with the Biden supporters. Uh, what did they tell you about you know why it's time to vote Democrat, especially in places like Pennsylvania, what went red last time? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that um, Hillary Clinton, uh, from what I'm hearing, didn't identify with them, right? She called people deplorable. And these are people who think, well, look, um, just because, you know, I go to church on Sunday, I, I have a gun, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. So I think she really seemed like an elite to them, especially in rural parts of Pennsylvania and the northern parts. Um, but Biden does identify with them, that many of them say, because he's from Scranton, because he comes from, you know, humble roots. And so he might be able to capture capture some more votes. Um, but there is still still a huge Trump sentiment in Pennsylvania. I mean, when we were driving through, even through western New York, I mean, the majority, vast majority of the signs were Trump signs. And you spoke to Trump supporters. What did they say about uh, supporting Trump the second time around? Obviously, it's a different sort of thing in 2016. Uh, he had no legislative background, so now he does. So what are those Trump supporters saying? You know, there's a real feeling here uh, in America, which we don't have in Canada, where when you talk to people, they'll, they'll say, you know, uh, I, I, I stand behind the flag. We're united behind the flag. We believe in our commander in chief. We don't call our, our prime minister anything close to that. So I think that they they just they believe in him so much. In fact, there's a bunch of people coming from across the country to Washington, where I am, tomorrow night to hold a huge prayer rally for the country and for Trump, um, you know, before the election. So uh, to me, I think these these Trump supporters, these hard Trump supporters, I mean, they're obviously not going anywhere. But the question is, is he still going to be able to get those votes in the swing ridings in, you know, Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Florida, uh, the Latino vote, huge vote as well. And that gender wise, that group is divided, you know, women favoring Biden men favoring Trump. So it's going to be really interesting. I just go back to that that clip of Donald Trump saying, you know, suburban women, won't you please love me, suburban women. Um, And Trump, again, uh, stumping all weekend long. uh, He just put out a a list of a number of in-person big events that he's doing. It's it's kind of jaw-dropping considering the coronavirus numbers. Yeah, certainly. And uh, that's the other thing I've been speaking with people, because the, the people we interview, actually one woman today, I were trying to interview her and she said, I don't believe in masks. 
and Chris Dunphy, who you know, my cameraman, he's like, well, we believe in masks. So if you want to do the interview, you got to put your mask on. But there's, you know, there's, I asked, I asked some of the Trump supporters how they kind of square that circle with they're wearing a mask, but then at these big rallies, you see Trump supporters without a mask really close together. And again, it's this belief that, you know, our commander in chief is protecting us. He's keeping everybody safe. It's fake news, what you're hearing on CNN, that, you know, the rates are going up in communities where he's had rallies. Um, so it's a lot of the same rhetoric that you're hearing Trump and, and his surrogates say on the news. What I always find interesting is when you when you start talking about fake news, it, it, you you have these conversations, you know, with people, and you know, mm-hmm. you have a camera and a microphone and a microphone flash, and 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 you're asking questions, and they're looking right at you and saying, "I don't believe anything that you say." <laughs> Yeah, they're and, and they're, but they're still talking to you, which is which is the interesting <laughs> part, um, you know. Which is it, that that also doesn't really doesn't really make sense to me. But but there were some Trump supporters who refused to talk to us, like they just flat out refused and, and said, you know, called us fake news and didn't didn't want to talk to us. So I think there's really um, there's really a gamut of people. But you're right, that is that is quite interesting and a bit ironic. Uh, tell me more about about what you're seeing in terms of these preparations. I saw a very disturbing news story yesterday about. Uh, the number of Americans who have purchased handguns and firearms in the weeks leading up to the election because they're concerned about what might happen in the wake of the vote. Yeah, I mean, Washington is not, it's not a bustling place right now, right? Many people are in their home states. It's not, during the election, it's, it's not as busy as it normally is. Um, but it's still here. Like you're seeing, again, as I mentioned, like a lot of the places boarding up, and uh, it depends on who you ask. Like some, there was a, a Democrat voter that I spoke to today, and he, I said, you know, did you vote in the advance polls? And, and he said, no, the lineup was too long. I'm waiting until election day. And he lives in Maryland. He lives in a really Republican area in Maryland. And I, I said, are you worried at all? Like, are you worried about a suppression or people, you know, pressuring you? And he said, no. He said he didn't even believe that in the news. He thought it's just a scare tactic. So some people really aren't worried and think this is all kind of made up. And, and this guy was a Democrat. But, um, you know, obviously the businesses here where we are taking it seriously and boarding up their windows because they don't want to see anything happen in case there, there are riots. Talking about precautions, how about uh, precautions for you and the crew as you head through the United States in terms of coronavirus? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's been a real uh, real experience like no other, and I don't know if we're going to have another experience like this covering an election. But you know, really, we've just uh, we've just masked. We're being really careful every time we go out and do a story. We see that as a potential risk, so we are really being careful anywhere we're going. I mean, all the interviews we do are outside. That is you know obvious, and that's a given. But even going from place to place, we have a hotel, we have a live location 400 meters away, and we're essentially sticking to that unless we have to do interviews. And a lot of the people I'm speaking with are people that I would just normally come across, you know, the jogger on the way to my live location, people who work in the hotel, like these are the people that we're talking to with with another election. I mean, we'd be everywhere. We'd be out everywhere filming everything, but it's not like that here because obviously um, the safety, our safety is paramount. Uh, we're going to co-anchor the uh, news, the 5.30 and 6 tonight, uh, w- with you in D.C. And, and me here in Toronto. Yeah, and I hope I hope you miss me, because it's been a few days since I've seen you. Yeah, can we talk about that? Do you mind? Do you have a sec? <laughs> um, so here's why I haven't, I haven't talked about this yet on the show. Here's why I haven't been on the show for a couple of days. I came down with some chills on Monday. Uh, and I was like, well, I feel weird, but I, I'm sure it's nothing. And then I go and I check the, 
uh, COVID assessment tool. And sure enough, it says right on there, if you have chills, just chills alone, you got to go immediately and get an assessment. And as soon as you read that, you know, you're like, well, now what do you, you can't unlearn that. And the next, so I had to go for a test and obviously it came back uh, negative, but what a weird time we live in far where, you know, what might just have been something that maybe I took a day off to feel better. All of a sudden now, like, you know, I, I got to take time off. People have to fill in my shift. It's a weird time. And you, you have this added worry and anxiety. Like, did I give it to my family? Did I give it to my co-anchor? Did anything happen? And thankfully you're negative and none of those things were even a factor, but that, that also that plays with your mind so much these days. Isn't that true? It just, and, and then you, you kind of go through these, you know, uh, swings of emotions. First of all, the emotion was, I hope I didn't, you know, if I have it, I hope I didn't give it to anybody. And then I weirdly felt guilty that I didn't have it and that I caused so much disruption in people's <laughs> lives, which is insane. That's an insane thing yeah, to feel. Crazy. For sure. For sure. That is like, <laughs> that is next level guilt. Next level. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> Really is. All right, Far. I'll see you on the uh, five thirty tonight. Okay, uh, take care. You. Okay. Bye. <laughs> that is Far Nasser, who is uh, my co-anchor here at Global News in Washington D.C., and she's filing stories for Global National, and of course, we'll be covering the American election. It has been a weird, strange week, and you know, I think my experience is is not unlike a lot of people's. I think you know, you you, you feel sick. You know, and there's all kinds of reasons to feel sick. And you know what I did is I, I I looked into it. Well, who am I kidding? My wife looked it up. This is what happens in my house. I I say I wonder what, and then you know I ask a question, and she looks it up immediately and tells me what the answer is, and then I just pretend I learned it on my own. That's my own dynamic. But nevertheless, here's what I learned: Why is it that we continue to get sick with colds and non-COVIDy things? If we're doing all of these things, if we're, I mean, I barely, like I said, I barely see anybody. I'm masked up. I don't do anything. How is it possible? Well, it turns out, it turns out that the common cold, which is a completely different thing, it's not a coronavirus. It is a rhinovirus, different thing altogether. And it survives much easier in the environment, you wash your hands with soap and stuff, it can still be on there. It can still easily infect you, although the impact of it is pretty minor because your body can fight it off, uh, because your body can produce antibodies, and although it might feel crappy for a couple of days. I mean, if you have the difference between a cold and a flu, you know the difference. There is a difference. And the difference is with the flu and with coronavirus, with COVID-19, is that it has a fatty lipid. I just like saying fatty lipid. It has a fatty lipid around it, which means that once it gets into your body, it protects the virus from your antibodies so your body can't fight it. However, that fatty lipid breaks down easily in the environment with soap and antiseptics and that sort of thing. And that's why washing your hands can get rid of coronavirus and COVID-19 and the flu in a way that it can't completely eliminate just the common cold. So there, there's your background right there. I know you were asking, you are saying to yourself, could someone explain this to me? And I'm the man. I'm your guy. That is the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch the Alan Carter Show weekdays beginning at noon.